this is Daryl. Thank you for listening to the Total Soccer Show. If you're looking for some Bundesliga review, go back an episode. Taylor and I go deep on Dortmund versus Schalke. I won't say what the score is, but let's say we analyse every single one of those goals. The episode you're about to hear is an interview with Grant Wall, in which Grant talks about his time at Sports Illustrated and what he's going to do next. Should say, full disclosure, and you may already know this, um, what Grant is going to do next is launch a podcast, Football with Grant Wall, and Taylor and I are involved with producing that podcast. So yes, there's a bit of self-promotion going on here because we're very excited about the launch of Football with Grant Wall, not least because the profile of guests that Grant has lined up for the show, it, it's something special. It is something special. And what we would love is if you would now go find it in iTunes or Spotify or Overcast or wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe to Football with Grant Wall. I will put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you to do that. But what you're about to hear is also genuinely a really good conversation. Grant talks about his time at Sports Illustrated, his early days, how he got a start, the advice he gives and would give to young journalists, how the Beckham experiment changed his career, how he goes about booking high-profile guests, which honestly surprised me. Apparently, if you want to get Mo Salah, going through Liverpool Football Club is not the best way to go, it turns out. So I hope you'll support our new project by subscribing to Football with Grant Wall, but I also hope you enjoy this interview. Before we get to it, I want to let you know about today's sponsor, Remarkably Remote. Today's episode of the Total Sock Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated and productive at home, Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add Remarkably Remote to your flash briefing on Alexa if you've got one of those or subscribe on your favourite podcasting app. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined today by a man who's not Taylor Rockwell, but he is Grant Wall. Grant, welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Hey, Daryl. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Always a pleasure. So, the big question that I'm sure everyone will want to hear before we get into sort of what you're going to do next, which I happen to know what you're going to do next, Grant, because we've been talking about <laughs> it, um, I want to ask you. What can you tell people about the recent news about your exit from Sports Illustrated? Not a heck of a lot, okay. uh, unfortunately. Um, my lawyer basically has said I can't talk publicly about my departure from Sports Illustrated, and I don't want to be stupid, so I won't. But um, I was at Sports Illustrated for over 23 years. Uh, I covered soccer the whole time I was there. I covered soccer full-time starting in 2009, and loved every bit about all those years at Sports Illustrated and the experiences that I had. And uh, so uh, April 10th uh, was my last day there. And uh, obviously there's a lot going on uh, with the coronavirus and everyone's dealing with it to some extent or another. We've seen uh, more than 30 million people in this country lose their jobs. And that's tough for for every single one of those people and their families so i happen to be one of those people and uh it's a bummer but uh life goes on 
and I'm still very excited to cover soccer. feel like my work is as good as it's ever been. And, uh, yeah, just got a lot of support from the American soccer community about the whole thing and really appreciate that. So if you if you were on the other end of this interview, Grant, would you at this point like push for more details or try and find <laughs> a way to get you to talk about it? Because, you know, you are a very experienced interviewer. Um, I might. I might. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not used to being on the other side, as, as you probably know. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the one thing I can say is like my Twitter feed has probably represented publicly all that I can say. Okay. Um, you know, um, I was let go. You can Google my name, read the stories probably in the Washington post and not the one in the New York post. Cause that's not factual. Um, and, uh, would only say that, um, you know, some of the stuff that was put out about me, uh, by the person who, who runs that organization is not accurate. And I tweeted this, um, and, uh, certainly never was resisting a, a pay cut during the pandemic. As they said, um, they said, I wrote infrequently, uh, that is not accurate. I was one of the highest quantity producers on the national staff at sports illustrated for many, many years. Uh, I think stuff like that, people who followed me, uh, who've read me, who know me, uh, know that that's accurate. So there was, like you said, a sort of an outpouring of uh, like support as well um, for w- when you announced that this had happened. And I noticed a lot of um, current soccer journalists who essentially said that you helped them a lot when they were when they were sort of younger journalists. Um, I want to ask you if that's a thing that you always you always wanted to do, as in like were you always look looking to help out younger journalists? Yeah. I, mean, I always have that. That's that is true today. Um, you know, whether it's uh, interns at Sports Illustrated, whether it's people who've asked me uh, questions about getting into the business over the years, um, I've always sort of looked at uh, people who want to cover soccer for a living in America. If there's somebody who wants to do that, that's that's impressive and that's not easy. And so, if they ask for help, then by all means, yes. And uh, and obviously, you know, people who want to cover other sports too, if there's some stuff I can help with, uh, always happy to do that. And, uh, I also think that, you know, covering soccer in America is not some zero sum game where one person's success means everyone else has less success. I think yeah. everyone can I'm sort a, of, li- I'm a big believer li- in that too. Yeah. I think the more, the more quality coverage, the better. Yeah. And so just like, you know, be a good dude, like. If someone has questions, uh, you know, try and help out. If someone writes a great story or does really good work, promote that on your Twitter. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know about you. I kind of like our little American soccer journalism and media community. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of benefited very much from it uh, back in, in January 2019, right? And you were a big part of uh, uh, getting the word out and promoting the, the GoFundMe for my medical stuff. Um, so... Thank you for that, um, and, and to the whole American soccer community. Um, that was a really cool moment, yeah. Yeah, it just showed the, the strength of the bands, right, that, that we've all yeah. got. Um, is, is there one thing that you, one thing that you t- say to every young journalist if they're sort of like, how do I break into the industry? It's, it's a tough question, right, because it's not easy to break into the industry. So I always wonder, what, what's your stock response when someone with very little experience asks that question? I mean, it depends on the situation because I try and get to know the person and get a sense of what they're about and what they're interested in in trying to do. And I also realized that 
that breaking into media is difficult, but I also don't want to crush their dreams and say stuff like, don't do this because <laughs> I, I've, I've heard like other yeah. media people have said that yeah. you know, just like, wow. Going to real estate. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I also realized that, you know, s some people are more privileged than others in being able to, you know, take an unpaid internship if your family has enough money to allow you to do that. Yeah. Not, not everyone has that luxury. Um, and so, you know, like as much as the media business has changed and as tough as it has gotten for, uh, newspapers, uh, magazines, websites in the last several years as Google and Facebook have basically swallowed all of advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think there's some skills that will never go out of style and like the ability to write well, the ability to interview, the ability to speak Spanish and work in Spanish. Uh, the interest in sports from the consumer is as high as ever, especially when we'll start playing sports again after yeah. this virus. And, and so there will be interest in good journalism. And then it's just a matter of trying to to do what you can to do quality work to, I always think it's important to, to tell your bosses, I got it. If they ask you to do something, uh, as opposed to telling them reasons why you don't got it, you know, <laughs> and, and that happens, you know? So, um, just to make yourself useful to bosses, to find people who will support you and take time with you. Um, and and try and solve a problem for a boss that they need fixed. Yeah, I um, had an I had an editor. This is not a sports uh, magazine. It was a lifestyle magazine. Um, I had an editor. She used to say to me, "If you're going to come to me with a problem, also come with a solution." Yes, that's great advice. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I've gotten really good advice over the years from from different people. I mean, um, my internship at the Miami Herald way back uh, in the summer of '96. Uh, the sports editor there told me once, when you're doing interviews, ask questions you don't know the answer to. Right. Because way too often in sports journalism, it's like the interviewer is trying to find a quote mm -hmm. that they can stick into the story. And so they ask the question to get the quote that they want, but nobody learns anything. Well, I'm going to do the exact opposite of that, Grant. <laughs> I am going to ask you a question people will be wondering about. What are you doing next? What's the plan for what you do next? And I happen to know the answer because we, we've been working on a little project together. <laughs> so I am starting a podcast uh, with a total soccer show, hey. guys, you guys, my friends, um, <laughs> who have done an amazing job over the years in building uh, your network and, and doing what you do and, and getting so many fans around the country. And um, so it's called Football with Grant Wall. And, uh, it's a podcast. It's going to come out Mondays and Thursdays. And it's basically the, the, the focus is going to be me interviewing some of the most prominent figures in the soccer world and the most interesting figures in the soccer world. And some of those will be American. Uh, it'll be men's soccer figures, women's soccer figures. Uh, and then some of them will be global soccer figures. And, um, I love interviewing. It's yeah. something that uh, I've always been fascinated by the art of interviewing and, and you can never get it perfect, but you know, the techniques that you can use to try and get the most interesting answers possible. Uh, and obviously over the last 23 years at Sports Illustrated, I've built a lot of relationships with 
people around the sport. And what's nice is I'm starting to schedule interview interviewees and interviews for this podcast is, you know, we're getting interest from, from big names in the sport to do these interviews based on the relationships I've got with them. And, you know, I don't need sports illustrated to do that. And so, uh, I kind of already knew that from my book work where I was able to get access from my last book to some of the biggest figures in the sport. Yeah. Uh, but I want to continue that with, with this show. And so I'm excited to get going on Monday, the 18th. Are we allowed to say who the first guest is going to be? I, it's okay if you don't want to say. I, I always am concerned about jinxing it because we're recording this on, on Friday and the interview is taking place on Sunday. But uh, I'm okay this, this time. It's Tyler Adams. Hey. Uh, and I thought he would be a perfect person to have on this first show because uh, the Bundesliga is starting this weekend. Yeah. After a long time off, it's the first major soccer league to get going again. Germany's done a good job dealing with the virus, unlike some other countries. And I think I just want to know what his experience has been like as he gets ready to play again and, and talk to him about what it is like to get the games going again. I, you know, I think Tyler Adams is going to be the captain of the U.S. men's national team for the next decade. And Yeah, it's inevitable, right? He's just like, not only is he a tremendous player with a huge upside, like I think he's going to be playing for like maybe Real Madrid in like two or three years. Um, but if you hear him speak, he's basically 21 going on 45. <laughs> and he's so good as an interview. And I just look forward to every time I interview him. So uh, I think he's a great person to start the, ser- uh, the show with. So I also want to talk about um, the process of booking guests because um, what, one of the reasons Tyler and I were excited to work with you is because we know you have this really good network and you you have this show where you can get guests on a soccer podcast that I'm going to say most people can't get, right? Just because you've spent um, an entire professional career building up these contacts. Um, but it's still not an easy thing to do, right? It still takes some work behind the scenes to get a big yeah. name guest to commit to yeah, I will make an hour for you and I will sit down and talk to you about stuff. Um, so I'm really interested. Like, what can you, what can you say about the process? Like, I'm not, we're not looking for phone numbers here. But, <laughs> but what, what's the sort of process for when you want to book um, a big name guest? Not necessarily Tyler Adams, but, um, you know, anyone with a high profile. Yeah, I've learned a lot over the years. And, and that one of those things is there are so many different ways to book an interview guest. And, I mean, from the start here, I'll say this. I'm the one who books the guests. Like, this isn't some, like, Good Morning America where they have, like, <laughs> five people whose sole job is to book guests for that show. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like, I hosted a video show, a weekly video soccer show for a couple years uh, at Sports Illustrated with Luis Miguel Echegaray, and I was the show booker most of the time. Luis Miguel did a few. Um, and... What I learned, as I'd learned before, but when you have a regular show, and this goes for my podcast too, you have to really work at it because not everyone is going to say yes, and that's fine, and you don't hold that against them. And and so you really have to I, – I kind of compare it to casting about 10 different fishing lines out at the same time, and you <laughs> may get a bite on one or two, and that you just have to go through the, the 10 casting outs. And and not be bothered by, 
you know, if, if you don't hear back from people. And uh, luckily, you know, over the last 23 years, uh, I've done a lot of stories on people, built a lot of relationships with the people I interviewed, the figures themselves, but also sort of their gatekeepers. And I think there's a way to to do really good, respected work and and have good relationships without like going to an extreme where people think, oh, that guy's, you know, in the tank for that person, or they're not objective about that person. And, and so I'm really proud of that. And so that it depends on the person, like with U S soccer figures, um, you know, like if you want to get an interview, usually there's a gatekeeper of some sort, um, that will either be, if it's like an ML, someone on an MLS team, you go through the MLS PR person. Um, if the U S national team is in camp, they have a press person that you can arrange interviews through. Um, you know, if it's Europe, sometimes, um, you go through, I'm trying to remember. So I did an interview with Mohamed Salah a couple of years ago for a cover story right before the 2018 world cup. And actually, I, ch- I started by trying to go through Liverpool, but they didn't have enough Jews to convince Salah to do the interview. That's mind-blowing. That's, that's his employer. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy. It's the same with Barcelona and Messi. Yeah. So one thing I've learned over the years is sometimes the shoe companies can help out. Uh-huh. And it's, there's nothing shady about it. I'm not paying the shoe company. They're not paying me. I'm not doing any sort of favor trading with them. I'm just going to do a story on the, their athlete. Um, but like with Salah, uh, that was Adidas that uh, that they had the juice with his agent, and we did the interview um, with Messi for the cover story that we did in 2016. Uh, that was through the shoe company Adidas. Uh, I've worked through Nike for. I remember I, when Ronaldinho was at the height of his powers right before the 20, 2006 World Cup, I went over to Barcelona and that was done. That was arranged through, uh, through Nike. Um, whereas the Jurgen Klopp magazine story I did this past January, that was through Liverpool. So does the shoe company ask for anything in return or do they, they just see it as good, good business to have their star who's representing their brand um, just, be, you know, have more more public space basically yeah i mean i'll be as transparent as possible here like i i think what's happened on a couple of occasions is like when we did didier drogba for it was before the 2010 world cup i don't even think i did that through nike i did that through his personal pr rep but he was holding in the photograph for that portrait, his shoes like tied over his neck or something. Okay, I can see and that so, photo. I can see that photo. And and so yeah. I think there was probably a swoosh in there. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like in like in my mind, as long as that's that to me is not crossing some red line, in my opinion. Now, if it gets into specific like in a written story if it gets into like specific mentions of of a brand that's when i get queasy yeah um 
But like, it's also different when it comes to different mediums because you'll hear this on my podcast. So there's, and this is just about tradition, right? So if Sports Illustrated has a written story, you won't see ads in that written story or plugs. But in, there's much more of a tradition in radio and we're seeing now in podcasts of, of plugs yeah. and it's not, it's not viewed as unethical. Is, it, I, it, is that I, right? I find Brent Wall it, with a new podcast coming out. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it is fascinating to me. Right. So like uh, in video, but especially in, in radio and podcasts, uh, I'm okay because there's a tradition there of saying yeah. like, um, so-and-so is brought to you today by Adidas or by Nike or by whomever. And that's why, you know, you have ads in your own show. Like that's why the host of the show, it's much more common to actually read an ad in that, in that host's voice. That's true. And, and I do find that fascinating. And that has everything to do with tradition on, on certain platforms, I guess. Hey, so you heard what Grant said. What better time than right now? for today's ad read. Today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by the Black Tux, our returning sponsors. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that the Black Tux believes everyone deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or a tuxedo for your big day. You can rent from the Black Tux or you can buy from the Black Tux. But the most important thing is that the Black Tux has an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. You just go to theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. The Black Tux will ship your order two weeks before your wedding or other big event and you can check it one last time. So whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or formal wear designs like the ones you'll find at theblacktux.com. And if you go to theblacktux.com and you see the prices and you think those prices are reasonable, but I'd like to pay about 90% of that price. Well, you're in luck because if you go to theblacktux.com, you can get 10% off with the code SOCCER. That's theblacktux.com and code SOCCER for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. So I listened to um, the Mark Maron podcast. I'm not, I'm yeah. not sure if you're familiar. I mean, he's obviously one of the most like, famous interviewers, especially in the podcast format. Um, mm -hmm. And he'll often have uh, people coming through who have a new movie coming out. And mm -hmm. in the sort of, you know, he does the 10 to 15 minute, <laughs> like off the cuff monologue, like almost <laughs> just a stream of consciousness. But in there somewhere, he will say, we've got, um, I don't know, Pete Davidson coming on and his new movie, uh, The King of Staten Island is coming out soon. Um, and there'll be like a little plug at the start there. Mm -hmm. But it, it feels informational, even though it's definitely promotional. And then when they have the interview, they'll maybe discuss it. But I know if like, for example, if Mark Maron doesn't like the movie, he will say, eh, didn't care for it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there's the promotional part, but then it doesn't detract from the honesty within the interview. Which, yeah, I mean, like it, it, there's a long tradition of this, like every um, night, you know, talk show on TV in America, like the guests will often, if they're very big stars, have something to plug. And so you don't want to go over the top with it. But it's something that's just, you know, kind of accepted this point, says the guy whose podcast starts on Monday. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's do the plug. So Monday, May 18th, <laughs> um, Football with Grant Wall um, should be available via iTunes. Almost certainly will be available, right? 
fingers crossed that Apple populates this thing in time. But yes, yeah. uh, it's on Spotify. It's on uh, other channels platforms as well so we would encourage people to please go and subscribe and give a listen and just know that um if you if you like the total sock show taylor and i are behind the scenes making sure all the audio lines up correctly yes thank you <laughs> thank you thank you thank you <laughs> and if it's not then you know who to blame right don't blame grant you can bl- blame us <laughs> i also grant i want to look back at, at sports illustrated um mm-hmm. i won't ask for your opinion on that but i diplomatically say that the current version of Sports Illustrated is uh, not what it once was, but you you were there for the glory days and you were covering soccer. And I think, importantly for me, it was sort of before my time in the United States. So when I got here, you were already a name who was covering soccer. And if we went to a press conference, you were in the front row. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I want to sort of ask when... Um, when, did it, when did it start? So no, I do know that you covered college basketball to begin with. Essentially, how did you get Sports Illustrated to let you cover soccer? Well, they, they didn't cover it much in the late 90s. Um, and so I, I had to fight for, for any coverage that we did have. Um, so I got to Sports Illustrated in the fall of 1996. I uh, graduated college earlier that year. And I came in as an entry-level fact checker. So I wasn't even a full-time writer when I came in. My job as a fact checker was to get some other writer's story on like a Sunday morning. And there was a whole protocol where I had to red check, verify as they called it, every fact in that story. And you certainly learn very quickly how important it was to get things right at Sports Illustrated. And so I think that was a good experience. Uh, A little bit of a thankless job because the only time you stood out was when you screwed up. But... (laughs) Still, like, there were some crazy stories over time of, like, um, you know, because you would have to do this all on a Sunday, and you'd have to call the the subject of the story and verify things that they'd already talked about with the writer. And we had examples where, like, I I fact-checked a lot of basketball stories, and a lot of these personal stories of athletes, they had, like, it would say they never met their father. And... It was my job as the fact checker. Our lawyers made us do this. I had to track down the father and verify with the father that they had never met their son, Oof. this amazing athlete. And that's crazy, but I understand why we had to do it because yeah. the lawyers would say, if you're going to mention this person's name and it's like something that will make them look bad, you have to find them and get their side of the story. So you also realize how important it is to get everyone's side of the story. But I had some heart-wrenching conversations with parents of great players who had never like, spent time with their kid, which is insane. Um, Did you ever have a conflict with a writer who like, maybe you called out a fact, like fact-checked a fact and it turned out not to be a fact? Not really. I mean, like, um, I think most writers appreciate fact checkers because it saves them from from looking bad right. publicly. It's like a safety net. Yeah, um, and so uh, so I came in uh, to Sports Illustrated, and I was like, I'm going to give myself three years, and if I'm not a full time writer after three years, I'm going to look for a job in a newspaper somewhere. Right. And I ended up being a full-time writer after one year, uh, which 
was great. Um, and so I covered college basketball as my main sport. And then I would do soccer on the side. And, and those seasons really didn't overlap. So college basketball season would be September through uh, early April. And then in those days, soccer was basically a summer sport because we would cover the summer tournaments. So men's World Cup, women's World Cup, the Euro. Um, and so that's kind of how it worked. Um, and so uh, I enjoyed doing the soccer stuff so much. I, I enjoyed the college basketball too, but there, there were a lot of college basketball writers nationally and there weren't many soccer writers and it kind of became my thing. And so I started saying to my editors, I would love to cover soccer full-time if you guys ever have the desire for a full-time soccer writer. And what, so... What was your first soccer story? So my first soccer story, this is fascinating to me, is Sports Illustrated used to cover the NCAA Men's Final Four hmm. every year. And there would be like a... You can go back to like the 1970s, and I love going through back issues of Sports Illustrated, where they would have like eight-page stories on the NCAA Soccer Final Four in like 1973... And that tradition sort of carried over. And so, like, I remember covering uh, the NCAA Soccer Final Four, like, when Ben Olsen was in the final for Virginia. And I remember having breakfast the day of the final with Ben Olsen at his hotel <laughs> and interviewing him. And that was, like, the first time I ever interviewed Ben Olsen. Yeah. Uh, I remember covering other guys, too, like Nick Raimondo, uh, Matt Reese at UCLA, um, Nick Garcia from Indiana, Dima Kovalenko, wow. uh, you know, and that was all at the NCAA final four. And, and that was actually some of the first deadline stories that I ever did. Um, were you ever in Richmond for that? I know there was a final yes. four that was hosted at uh, city stadium here in Richmond. Yeah. My first final four was in Richmond and huh. I, I had the hotel room next to Bruce arena <laughs> And there was a fire drill in the hotel at like two in the morning. And I remember hanging out in the lobby with Bruce Arena and, and I was just like, I kind of like this job. Uh, <laughs> and this is obviously when he was the UVA coach. But um, yeah, it was just good times. It, but there weren't that many soccer opportunities. And MLS was just starting and we weren't covering it very much. We would do like a season preview um, but there weren't too many features on soccer. Uh, I did, you know, go to the 98 men's world cup in France, which was my first world cup and, uh, had a great experience there. Um, and ended up writing, uh, the story on the final that was won by, by France was Zidane scoring twice. Yeah. And that, that was like the first really big deadline story that I ever did for the magazine. And because I didn't screw it up, I kind of, I was the soccer guy right? from that point moving forward. That was the Ronaldo, um, like mystery illness final, right? For yes. I don't remember. Yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of news around that final. And you know, you, you come full circle with things. Like I ended up, uh, sitting down with Brazilian Ronaldo, uh, last October, uh, for a story in Spain, he, the story is sort of a, where are they now story about, uh, how he owns this mid-level team, uh, Real Valladolid, which is a little like Michael Jordan owning the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> and 
And, but it was crazy because like he started talking to me. We, we talked at length about that 98 final and what happened during the day. And he was telling me all these stories. And I, it, like the crazy thing now, Daryl, is that that story is still in my notebook, but it didn't get written. And because Sports Illustrated didn't give me two weeks notice, that story may never get written anywhere. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Which is kind of weird. Yeah, because people want to know what happened to Ronaldo that day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got to figure out out how to how to deal with that one. <laughs> um, so, when did you become sort of full time soccer writer? Was it immediately after the '98 World Cup, or was that just we'll give you more soccer soccer stories after the '98? No, it was like it, it didn't happen until 2009. So, '99 um, was all about Women's World Cup, which was not thought to be a very big story until it started. And suddenly it was like the biggest sports story and transcending sports story of the year. Yeah. I remember the, there's that footage of the team on the bus um, mm-hmm. and not realizing what the big excited crowd was all about. And then they realize it's for them. And there's that yes. moment of they, everybody suddenly realizes how big this is. It's really interesting to know that that was going on in the media as well. I thought that moment was just because the team had been insulated from it. I mean, obviously, I wasn't here in '99, uh, so so that really is what happened. Like, it wasn't a big deal, and then suddenly it was. And there were huge concerns that they were stupid to have put these games in NFL stadiums because they thought they were worried that it would be barely attended and there would be all these empty seats because their first game was in Giant Stadium, and we were very accustomed to seeing the Metro Stars playing with a lot of empty seats in Giant right. Stadium. So yeah. uh, then it was you know entirely full that day. All the their games were full and it was this fairy tale three weeks and like to see how big that got um it it was it was pretty incredible and now you see the 99ers have a a movie coming out on netflix that was just announced and like this this moment stayed with so many people and was this transformational moment um but the way it seemed was like you would get these big moments like the world cup the men's and women's and then soccer would recede yeah at least in the eyes of the big media gatekeepers in the u.s and so i still had to fight and fight and fight just for like a regular soccer story and you know like we we got there slowly i remember i would covered um the last week of euro 2000 in holland um you know, covered uh, the World Cup in 2002. And it just seemed like it was always about the big summer tournament. So you would do a couple of big stories leading into it and then cover the tournament itself. And that's when the website started getting going where they asked for a lot of stuff. Um, And then, you know, this kind of kept going. And then finally in 2009, um, that was when my book came out, The Beckham Experiment on... David Beckham's first two years with the Galaxy, and it it had some success. It became a New York Times bestseller, which soccer books hadn't done before. And that was when I became a full-time soccer writer that year. And what happened was basically ESPN was going all in on soccer ahead of the 2010 World Cup. Uh, they tried to hire me, and Sports Illustrated basically said, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I like to cover soccer full time. You know this. <laughs> and and so they were like, okay. Um I see. And and so I stayed 
and uh, and was still a little concerned at the time about is this the right call? Is there going to be enough work? And there was plenty of work to be done in the soccer space. And so just have enjoyed every minute of being a full-time soccer person for the last decade. Is it fair to say then that Beckham's arrival in the United States and then the sort of indirect things, sort of like you being able to write a New York Times bestselling book about Beckham and therefore about soccer in the United States really did raise the profile in ways where, for example, Sports Illustrated will, will now have a full-time soccer writer. Like, is it fair to make that link between Beckham arriving and eventually Sports Illustrated having a full-time soccer writer? I think it's a factor. Yeah. Um, you know, like, if you go back to 2007, the year that Beckham came into the league, there were only 13 teams in MLS. And right. that was just 13 years ago. So there's twice that many now. There's 26. There's going to be 30 in a couple of years. Um and you really do realize how much MLS has grown and, and David Beckham is certainly not the only reason, but he's a big reason. Uh, that was a major moment. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's been a good thing. And then like over the, the last decade for me, it's been about just trying to figure out, you know, how can I try and do a ton of work on of quality on different platforms. So, you know, print magazine writing, the website, uh, podcasts, video, all these different things as, as the media landscape changes. Hey, Grant has more to say about the Beckham experiment and potential upcoming book projects in just a minute. But first, today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by Roman. If you are dealing with erectile dysfunction, you don't need to go and wait in a doctor's office to get it treated. And you don't need to be embarrassed either. Our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or your computer Complete a free online visit and you'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash TSS. I'll put the link in the show notes for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Thank you to Roman for sponsoring today's Total Soccer Show. Now, back to the Beckham experiment. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of different writers who say the same thing. It's about being sort of, you know, multi-skilled, multi-tooled, so that you can, uh, so you can do multiple things. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me is how you managed to write the book-length profile of Alan Gordon, but then sneakily title it <laughs> The Beckham Experiment to make it sell better. My favorite player in MLS history <laughs> is Alan Gordon. And I love that guy. And, you know, what was cool was... As I started reporting that book, you know, when Beckham came to LA, I had done enough stuff for this magazine cover story on Beckham's arrival that summer to know that Alan Gordon was going to be great for the book. I knew it heading in <laughs> because 
like there were a few guys I wanted to follow because here was a guy who was making less than $20,000 a year to play for the Galaxy. And Alan Gordon was actually playing in these games under pressure alongside David Beckham, who was making $50 million a year, including endorsements. Yeah. And so I knew that would be a very intriguing plot line, especially because Gordon became friends with David Beckham. Like they hung out together. Like they really connected. And like there was just a very interesting interchange uh, in that locker room between everyone. I knew that would be fascinating. Like like when the, the first time that the team goes out to dinner, knowing David, he would want to be one of the guys. And so he would go out with everybody. But I wanted to ask... Alan Gordon or Kyle Martino was on that team then. Another great interview. Um, you know, what happened when the check came? And like, did David pick it up? And what do you guys think about that? And guys were split. They were like, I don't want him picking up the check because my money's as good as his money. And then there were guys saying like, he better pick up the check. And like that's sort of that's a crazy situation. How do you deal with that? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think eventually, over the years that David was there, uh, they figured all that out. And um, you know, you know, that's to his credit. You know, like the do, only thing you know, I feel how, kind of, how do you how do you figure that out if different people want different things? Like, is there there's some sort of formula they arrived at? You can't keep everyone happy, and so yeah. like there ended up being occasions when David would host a team event at a restaurant in a private room and he would pick up everything. I see. And then there were other times like on a road trip when he wouldn't, um, you know, and, and traditions are different in different leagues. Like in the NFL, if you're Tom Brady and you win the Super Bowl, I'm pretty sure there's some sort of tradition that he like buys a nice watch or something for each of his offensive linemen. I see. Yeah. And I don't think that's what it's like in England or Spain if you win a championship in soccer. Yeah, because for the most part, everybody is roughly on some sort of similar level of wealth, unless you're an up-and-comer, and and then you're kind of expecting that one day you'll get get there as well. Yeah, so so I think that part was really interesting to me to, to talk about that stuff in the book and get a sense of what it was like to have the world's most famous athlete in an MLS locker room in 2007. Um, the only thing I kind of feel badly about is my book was about the first two years of Beckham in Los Angeles. And yeah. it was originally supposed to be about the first year only. And then he got hurt and barely played. So we, we pushed it back a year and I had to do the book then. It's not like I could wait five years and write the book about his entire time there. Right. And so those first two years, the Galaxy was terrible. Like they were at the bottom of the league. They end up firing Alexi Lalas and Ruud Hullet on the same day in August of 2008. And they hire Bruce Arena to fill both spots. And that's when the turnaround happens. And they end up winning multiple championships. And I like, so this book that I wrote was basically about this terribly dysfunctional Galaxy team that that after the book was done, went on to win championships. And so I always felt a little bit badly about just the circumstances of that. 
But it is a more Um, interesting period, right? If you step back and just look at it analytically, it's much more interesting to hear what was going wrong than than hearing about (laughs) Bruce Arena came in, fixed it, Robbie Keane scored a bunch of goals and everything's good. True. And yet I actually, for for the paperback edition, that came out a year after the hardback, I was able to write the afterward after the 2009 season when Bruce Arena had taken the team to the MLS final where they surprisingly lost to RSL and things had been fixed between Landon Donovan and David Beckham because of what Landon had said about David in my book. And uh, they had a huge blow up arena brought them together. They got on the right page and, and move forward. But like, at least I was able in the, the afterward to the paperback get into how things started to get better. All right. Um, so in the future, have you got any more books in the pipeline or do you have any more sort of writing opportunities or plans? I know it's a weird time, right? Because we're in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I, yeah, you're talking to a guy whose current income is zero, by the way, right now. <laughs> so, so yeah, if you have a... Like, I, no, I, I, I would like to do more books. Um, and so... The two books I've done, The Beckham Experiment and then I did Masters of Modern Soccer in 2018, uh, are the two uh, the two best experiences I've had in my career. So, yeah, so I want to do more books and, and book-length projects. Um, I think I would like my next book to be on women's soccer. Yeah. Uh, because I've covered that sport um, going back to my, my start at Sports Illustrated and you know, I've never written a book about it. And, you know, when my, my book came out in 2018, right before the men's world cup, it, as you know, looked at the the sport of soccer, the craft position by position, and it was all men. And one of the legitimate questions that people had was why, why don't you have any women? I remember and, you getting asked that question at the United Soccer Coaches Convention Q&A. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I sort of blah, 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 blah. And, <laughs> and, I really had no good answer except to say, you know, this book's coming out right before the men's world cup. And, th- and that's why I was focusing on men, but, um, I want to write a book on women's soccer. I love, you know, how that sport has grown. I love everything about the U S women's national team and what they represent and who they are and what they fought for. And so, um, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence also that the soccer books other than my Beckham book that have become bestsellers, uh, are all women's soccer. And so there's a market out there of people who want to read about that. So is this the case of you, do you just pitch to your publisher or is there a more complicated process? It's a little bit like when you ask me about, you know, how do you book interviews? There's like different routes <laughs> to it. Um, when I did my Beckham book, I was approached in 2007 by a publisher who wanted me to do a book on Beckham's first year in LA. Oh, wow. And that's not usually how it works. Usually you have to approach a publisher with a proposal. And so they asked me to write a proposal. I wrote a proposal for that Beckham book. And they said, we like this so much. We want you to make you a crown author. And we are, we want to offer you a two book deal. And so I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) And so without knowing what the second book was going to be, um, signed a two book deal. And, uh, so then it was a matter on the second book of writing another proposal and getting that approved by crown. 
uh, my publisher for my first two books and they had the, all the patience in the world because nine years passed between my first book and my second book and they stuck with me. I, I yeah, you're getting into George R. R. Martin territory there. Exactly. And <laughs> like what happened was I built a, a TV career. So I signed with Fox in 2012 and combining that with my full-time job at sports illustrated, I just didn't have enough time to, to do a book project. Right. So finally, when my publisher was like checking their watch, I was like, yeah, I should probably do this second book and just had a, a great time doing it. Learned more about the sport and the craft of the sport than I had ever before. And, um, you know, I spent time with Christian Pulisic, Chicharito, uh, Manuel Neuer, Xabi Alonso, Roberto Martinez, um, Vincent Company. Don't leave Vincent, Vincent Company. Company. I don't, yeah. How could I leave him out? He was probably the, the most enlightening one of the bunch. Um, <laughs> And, you know, the only thing that was a disappointment about that book was that it was set to it came out right before the 2018 World Cup and the U.S. failed to qualify. Yeah. <laughs> Which that was a bummer, but my, my publisher stood behind me and uh, and I felt great about the finished product. So that was a two book deal. So then it would need a new deal for a for a new Grant Wall book, essentially. Yeah. So um, and any other publisher interested? um you know, I'm, I'm working on a proposal. So uh, that's how I think the next book would be more of a traditional situation where I write a proposal, my agent shops it around, and and there's hopefully multiple publishers who want to do it, and they bid on it. All right. Uh, final thing I want to ask you about, Grant, is obviously middle of the pandemic, I'm assuming you're not, you're not out and about um, in New York City. Uh, <laughs> But you do have access to a really good source of pandemic news um, in the form of Dr. Celine Gounder. My wife. Yeah. I won't do the uh, the Borat, my wife here, because that's what Rob Stone does. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I mean, my wife's a rock star, uh, which I already knew. But like during the pandemic, she's been absolutely amazing. She's an infectious disease doctor, practicing doctor here in New York at Bellevue Hospital. Uh, she's gone into some pretty crazy infectious disease situations over the years. In uh, early 2015, she spent two months as a volunteer for no pay in Guinea to do Ebola work. And she's worked all over sub-Saharan Africa on HIV AIDS, on tuberculosis. Uh, you know, we lived in South Africa for a year uh, while she was doing that. And then uh, she's got a media career. So, uh, she uh, is a medical analyst for CNN. She's on a lot during the pandemic. And she also has a podcast called Epidemic, uh, which has gotten like crazy numbers. She's got, she told me like 800,000 downloads in the last two months. Um, it's a twice a week podcast where they get into the latest on, uh, on what's going on, you know, from a thoughtful evidence-based perspective, which counters maybe some things you're hearing elsewhere. Yeah about the pandemic but does she have any bundesliga midfielders on there i don't think she does <laughs> um, so you guys can be comparing downloads maybe in the near future <laughs> actually based on what i was getting on my previous podcast that wasn't a comparison <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the big thing right now right um, do you do you ever sort of fact check or fact check what she tells you or do you sort of just you you trust the truth straight from dr gander i do trust the truth from her because i i I watch her every day and see how much time she spends like during this pandemic it like to say it's her 
World Cup, like in relation <laughs> to when I'd have a World Cup, it is understating it because yeah. like like she spent the last two weeks, six days a week in the hospital, long days, and then she comes home, goes on CNN every day, has to prepare for that, you know, does her podcast, all the interviews, all the voice stuff for that. Uh, and all I'm doing is, is tr- just trying to, you know, make sure she has a good dinner and gets sleep. Um, yeah. And just try to be really supportive because, like, um, it's it's pretty incredible. And just, you know, really proud of her. And, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. Landon Donovan wanted to do a podcast where he interviewed her with his questions about the coronavirus. And it was kind of a weird idea, but it actually worked out uh, really well. And And I just sort of stepped aside for that podcast mm-hmm. and let them do their thing. I actually haven't heard that. I'm going to go and listen to that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's still there. What's What's Landon Donovan like as an interviewer? Better than you might think. All right. Um, and I think maybe it's because he's been interviewed so much himself. Right. But I think also he actually has curiosity. And... Um, he and I don't agree about everything with the pandemic. He's just always texting me with some of the, some like some articles sometimes that are like not articles I agree with, but at least we have a, 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 a rational debate about it. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I think it's kind of cool that I think Landon's pretty engaged with what's going on in the world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so Grant, the, once again, it's Monday, May 18th, the first episode of football with, Grant Wall. Is there anything else you wanted to mention uh, while we have you here? I mean, not really. I'm just really excited about doing the podcast with you guys. Really appreciative of your support with all of this and, and just um, excited about you know, getting out there and doing work again. It's been about a month and uh, I'm ready. All right. But I've just realized we don't want you to do too much work because we want you <laughs> to have things nice, have dinner ready for when the doctor comes home, right? Yes. <laughs> so i'll close by saying grant thank you for taking the time to talk to me today thanks there